0: My heart absolutely
1: betrayed me. Hi, I'm Bill Harper, and this is Bloodworks 101, an Anthem Award-winning podcast from the Pacific Northwest's Primary Blood Center designed to inspire you to donate time, money, or blood to support our community's health. This episode comes, quite literally, from the heart, or more specifically, the hearts, plural, of Seattle resident Randy Small. His first heart began failing him at age 29, which put him on a harrowing path he was all too familiar with, brought an emotional and spiritual reckoning, and gave him hope he could only get the hard way.
0: For me, having a heart attack at 29, and then coronary artery bypass graft cabbage times two at 31, my need for intensive medical care over time um, grew, and I saw it coming, and, and so I had an idea mm-hmm. of how I was going to cope with my own mortality. You
1: kind of make peace
0: with it, then you do, and you also start to feel limits on mm-hmm. yourself being placed on from your body, and 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 it sucks. But you but you get used to it, and and it is kind of the uh, boiling frog analogy <laughs> that you don't really know how bad it is because it's been so incremental over time, mm-hmm. and you just lost a little bit here and there, and. Mm-hmm. Um, when the totality of it shows up as okay, this is it. Mm-hmm. Do this or die. I was more mentally prepared for it, I think, than than oh. some people are. So um, the condition is officially known as hypercholesterolemia, hypertriglyceridemia, uh, hyperlipidemia, mm-hmm. and so you know, my mom had her first uh, heart attack when she was. 45 years old and she died at 53. There were several mm-hmm. different inventions that were done in between those. Uh-huh. When she had her first heart attack, I was a senior in high school. And it kind of throws you for a loop that of course it your, does, yeah. Your mom is possibly dying. And, and to watch her progression, um, I take after my mom in a lot of different ways. Um mm-hmm. I've got the same wavy hair. My beard is a little bit longer and and you know, different colors. The, the best
1: brandy, but you know.
0: <laughs> but I also got. Some of her sense of humor, which allows me mm-hmm. to cope with yeah. some of, of what I had to go through through the years. I was 29 years old, out golfing with my dad one day, started feeling a little weird, asked him what the symptoms of a heart attack were, and so mm-hmm. you know, just he and I talked about it. And he said, you know, do you want me to take you to the ER, yarn? I didn't have medical insurance at the time and I knew that would be really expensive. I'm 29 years old and I can bench press a refrigerator at this point in my life why do i need medical insurance
1: perfectly healthy
0: yep so we didn't go Mm -hmm. we went to a friend of his house for dinner as the evening progressed it became evident that there was a problem um i started feeling weaker and more tired and struggling and and i could feel the pressure on my chest and oh and i i took a quick shower maybe that would make me feel better and about halfway through the shower it was like no this is a problem Mm -hmm. and got out of the shower told her we need to go to the hospital, and um, and we went. And, and sure enough, I was told I was having a heart attack, having present tense, wow. not that i had, that it was currently going on. And um, they did everything they could to save as much of my heart's function as they could. Uh, they weren't sure I was gonna make it through the night, but I did, wow. and, um, and I was like, okay, now I'm a heart patient. One of the other things that was very difficult as a 29-year-old at the time, was the emotional impact. My heart absolutely betrayed me. One of the best things my doctor did is he sent me to a specialist, a psychologist, who dealt with men who had had life-threatening illness. And this guy listened to me and and gave me all the right feedback at the time. And the best thing he said when we wrapped it up was, "Okay, now what? Now what are you going to do? Just sit around and be a victim, or are you going to go have a life? And that one hit hard. It was like, okay, I'm not going to be a victim to this. I'm going to go live my life. I'm going to push it as hard as I can. I'm going to be as healthy as I can, do whatever I can to extend this as long as it can be. Yeah. And I did, but in the back of my mind was always this um, eight-year timetable, because that was my mom's first cardiac experience to her death
1: and you i were putting was yourself in this cage of you sort of felt like that's the time that she had and that's the time you had oh my gosh that's a whole lot of weight to put on yourself at 29 it was the sort of the,
0: yeah. it was the sort of damocles hanging over me and mm-hmm. i i didn't expect to make it to to 40 um i, I didn't expect to make it to the 36 but um but i did the damage that had been done to me when I was 29 was in the left anterior descending artery. But my ejection fraction, every time the ventricles pump, there's a certain amount of blood that's in the ventricle. Mm-hmm. When it pumps, how much of that blood is pumped out to the rest of your body. And that's a sign of, of a well-functioning heart or a mm-hmm. dysfunctional heart. So a normal, healthy human being, 55 to 65% of the blood in your left ventricle gets pumped out with every single pump, every mm-hmm. single beat of your heart. I had been down at about 15% oh my gosh. for a very long time and been fully functional and, and doing all the things I wanted to do. I was working, I was hiking, I was doing everything. And then my heart got tired. My resting heartbeat was around 105, which is very high, but it was functioning. And, and eventually it wore out mm-hmm. and, and the long, slow slide to transplant happened.
1: Well, tell me about when you, that like the moment or the the, doc, the meeting with your doctor, whenever it was, when you finally accepted that you were going to need a new heart from somebody. Mm. Like that's, you know, that that's, I mean, that's two things. I mean, that's number one, realizing the heart that you were born with, that you've had all this time, isn't going to cut the mustard anymore. And to borrow a phrase from what you said, it's sort of turned against you. And then the second thing is you're going to need this new thing that may or may not ever be out there, right? Yes
0: and I don't want to get overly religious or, or theological yeah, as I was auguring in and I was already weakened by the heart not working well, I'd already pulled out of work and was on disability but you're you're looking at this and you're looking at all these different things And being up late at night I, I had a few arguments with, uh, with God on this one and it was more of what can I do to survive at this point my previous cardiologist um, from Overlake um, was spectacular and he got me through that and he said okay he said I've done everything I can I I think we need to get you worked up for transplant and that was a big moment I was like okay um, he'd done everything he could and going in for a transplant evaluation was a biggie, mm-hmm. but um, I went in and they they did a workup that day and told me that they wanted to keep me. I said, well, I got a dog at home. I got to get some stuff. And they said, well, we're not sure you're going to live long enough to make it back that evening. Excuse me? They said, your numbers are so bad. We're not sure you're going to make it, and the process began. And the process involved a lot of very invasive and, and I'll admit, painful, frightening things. Um, it wasn't working well enough. We start talking about um, absolutely that I need a transplant, and there's no options. Gotta wait, and. And it's a very difficult time period because as I wrote to my church,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I said, I'm waiting for someone to die. And that's a weird spot to be in because by their death, your life will be saved. But I don't want anybody to die for me. Yeah. And so getting your brain wrapped around that one, is that they're not dying for you they died and because they were loving and giving enough mm-hmm. they wanted someone else to have a chance to live after they left this world yeah and that's why i think donors are heroes mm-hmm. not just organ donors as blood donors as well blood donors are willing to give up give up part of themselves to help other people live and recover and that's amazing but um, but it, it's something to wrap your, your head around. Is Absolutely. that the only way for you to live is for someone else to die.
1: Randy's care team placed him on a loud and intrusive but life-saving left ventricular assisted device, known as an LVAD, that enabled him to safely go home while waiting for a heart to become available. Because the device was in effect performing the work of his failed left ventricle, he required 24-hour care with someone trained on the device who could respond if for some reason it failed. Because, he said,
0: If it stops, I stop.
1: His girlfriend, her family, and their friends all took turns being with Randy during this critical time, accompanying him at home and when going out. Waiting, day after day, for the phone call while the go-bag sat by the front door. Until...
0: May 24, 2004, at 3.24 p.m., I got a call saying, Randy, we've got a heart for you. Where were you? <laughs> um, I was at the girlfriend's house. Her daughter um, had the had the Randy baton that day. So um, so she was there. And um, yeah, she heard me speaking on the phone, and was right at my side. And, and I just looked at her. I said, it's go time. A team had already been dispatched. Um, from UW to go recover the organs up in um, up in Alaska. Wow. Yep. Uh, there's a jet, a chartered jet available at all times wow. for that to happen. Hmm. Um, and they went up. Um, they were probably in the air about the time that I hit the hospital. Mm-hmm. Lots of tests, lots of things going on. And then yeah. about 11 o'clock, we went in and uh, I slept through the rest. Yeah. And I woke up um, later that, later the next day, it was late Mm -hmm. the next day that that I remember waking up and and, um, I was still intubated. As I sat there and I I felt uh, the heart beating in my chest Mm -hmm. that wasn't mine, Mm -hmm. but it felt more natural. Yeah. Than the, the piece of crap they took out.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It, 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 and at that moment, I knew I would make it. And this heart worked. And it was like, okay. And that's when, you know, we kind of introduced ourselves to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. The heart and I.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, yeah. It, it, I became the custodian of, of Kate's yeah. heart. It, it's, it's tough. Coming back from almost dying,
1: yeah. But the physical, the physical healing, and then psychologically, it's like, oh yeah. I I imagine it took you a while to convince yourself that it's going to be okay. Like we're done with the mayhem.
0: Yes. it it, Again, it was about six months where I started to square my shoulders again, and my current ejection fraction was about seventy-three percent with the new heart, which is spectacular.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, my old one. Just before transplant was 5.3%. Oh, and I shouldn't have been conscious. So let them, said,
1: yeah, by the time you were left. by the time you made it to transplant, you'd slid pretty far. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, it was a long, slow road. Yeah. We, road is pretty long for you. Gosh, five percent.
0: Yeah. And there's and and there is a failure point where you just can't yeah, get any lower and survive. And mm-hmm. I was tiptoeing on that line.
1: At some point along journeys like this one, usually when most of the dust is cleared, people search for a meaning to it all. It's only natural. Surely all this pain and suffering wasn't for nothing, we think. Surely I was kept alive against all those impossible laws to do something grand, to do something I have left to do in this world. Randy felt the same way, and his answer, that hope and second chances come from collateral benefit, is one we all ought to take to heart.
0: There is something about literally a life-saving heart transplant
1: mm-hmm.
0: and coming from where as, as bad off as I was to to being healthy again mm-hmm. it you feel like it's really huge but it felt like there had to be something really big that I was saved to do
1: oh.
0: and and so I was anxious about that looking for that opportunity what is it that I am here to do now? What is what is the purpose of this? And that's a pretty natural reaction. Mm-hmm. And one day, my friend Debbie and I were talking about that. And we also knew at the time, this is before I met my donor's family. We also knew that uh, my donor's liver had gone to a 10-year-old boy in Montana who would probably have not lasted the week without it. Oh. And Debbie said, you know about collateral damage, right? And I said, yeah. And it's just, well, let's think about a collateral benefit. Mm-hmm. That maybe this big thing isn't on you. Yeah. Maybe the big thing is on the kid who got the liver that will grow up and get married and have kids. And one of his kids will do something amazing. And the only way that could have happened was him getting Kate's liver. Mm-hmm. And maybe you just got collateral benefit of that purpose and, and they, your job is just keep being you just keeping a decent person keep helping people when you can look for opportunities to serve yeah um, and and she she brought me right back to earth man with the maybe it's not about you yeah I totally and know what then, you're
1: talking about yeah
0: and, you- and that was a pretty big moment that took a lot of weight off my shoulder mm-hmm yeah
1: that. and
0: honestly Part of my moving on and, and what I consider to be pretty good mental health about the whole thing right now was was meeting my donor family. Um,
1: when did that happen?
0: So, jumping back um, to the story earlier, I when I wrote the letter and they sent me back information. We wrote back and forth a couple of times. We asked, if we wanted to exchange information. And we did, and that took Life Center Northwest out of the picture. Yeah. Um, it was about six seven months later after we had exchanged that information
1: uh-huh.
0: that i just i felt a call i, I felt like I, I needed to reach out to them and i sat there and i stared at my phone for a few minutes and was like no go ahead call some something that's telling you to call
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so i called um and my donor's name was kate coons mm-hmm. um and so I call and I hear it ringing, I got it on speaker and there's so much apprehension.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, this first time and oh my God, what am I gonna say? The phone rang and I hear this female voice and I say, and I say hello. And I said, hi, is this Bridget? And she says, yes. And I said, my name, I said, this is Randy Small. And my throat just closed up, couldn't say anything else. And all this anticipation just focused on one moment. Mm-hmm. And she said the best possible thing that she could have said. She said, and I quote, you're shitting me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely relieves all the tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I start laughing, she starts laughing, and we start talking um had a great call called later that evening talked to uh, my donors dad as well larry Mm -hmm. um and uh and about eight months later um my friend debbie and i drove up to homer alaska from here
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, 2500 mile journey yeah um to meet them wow and um and they're just the best people um yeah and very quickly, I became family to them and, and they to me. And and you know, Kate literally is part of me now. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the custodian of her heart for however yeah. long it takes me. I'm 17 and a half years in. But I told them I said, look, every morning I wake up grateful. Yeah. Gratitude is, and, and I'm in touch with gratitude in a way that I hope more people can get to without having to go through what I went through. Exactly. Because I'm grateful for waking up every morning because I woke up this morning. It's another bonus day. Um, but I told him, I said, look, you know, they, there's going to come a day where you're going to get a call. Now, hopefully it's far off. Hopefully it's another yeah. 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. But the day will come. And I want you to understand how grateful I am to yeah. your family and Kate and to all the people who made it happen, I mean, again, it was eight pints of blood for me. Can't do the surgery without blood. Right. Um, it's 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 a big deal. Yeah. and I'm here because of all of those unsung heroes, all of the people in the background, I, the people that do the paperwork at these organizations, the the receptionists, you know, all the members of the team contribute to me being able to wake up this morning and isn't that amazing this
1: morning and every morning it's incredible well that about does it for this episode of bloodworks 101 I'm Bill Harper and if you're interested in becoming a hero yourself go to bloodworksnw.org and make an appointment to donate blood Randy and I and so many like us are here today because people like you did that very act it's so simple and it makes all the difference Thank you as always for listening, take good care, and we'll see you next time.